0: to be beginning, we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 18. But before we do, I want to ask you a question. Here's the question what's the first prayer that you ever learned how to pray? What's the very first prayer you ever learned how to pray? Maybe you grew up not learning prayers, not having prayers to pray, and that's that's great. We're so glad that you're here. I grew up in the complete utter opposite of that. I grew up where, as early as I can remember, I remember praying. As early as I can remember, I can remember these prayers. And here's the first one that I that I remember is is this one. It would happen before I'd go to bed at night. My mom would say, "You know, she'd now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord." Anybody heard this before? I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. And what's the next line in that prayer? If I die before, that is such a scary prayer. Somebody, don't teach that to your kids. It's no wonder I had so many nightmares as a kid because before I went to bed, the last thing that went through my head is if I'm going to die tonight. Like this is not going to go good here in my bed. No wonder I had all these nightmares as a kid. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I mean, that's such a freaky prayer, right? Right. Uh, learn how to prayer. Prayer is kind of a funny thing. We're entering into a season of prayer, but just saying prayer sometimes can, can be scary. Maybe, maybe you're brand new to this whole church thing and you don't even know what that even means. That's okay. Or maybe you've been in church uh, your whole life and you know what it's supposed to mean, but you don't, it's not really working out that great in your life. It's not something that comes so easy. Uh, I, I want to show you a clip of one of my favorite comedians talking about how awkward prayer could be. Check it out.
1: I remember going to church as an adult, right, for the first time when I started going to church. And I would walk in, and the pastor was like, he said, I want you to pray with your neighbor. And I'm like, well, my neighbor don't go to this church. I don't know if you want me to, you want me to call my neighbor on the phone. That's creepy. I ain't going to do that. Right, then they explained to me, right, your neighbor is a person sitting next to you. Listen, I'm brand new at this Christian stuff. I don't not I didn't even know you're supposed to pray out loud, let alone with this lady. I don't even know this lady. What am I supposed to pray about? Lord, help these bumps go down on this lady's face. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about, right? She went first, she was praying all good and she must've been John the Baptist's little sister or something. She was like, Dear Heavenly Father, you said in your word in the sixth chapter, the third, third verse of the book of Matthew, the 601st word on page 1248. (laughs) Lord, you said, but seek. S is in search. E is in everywhere. E is in excellent. K is in kingdom. You're the Alpha, Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. I'm thinking, man, she even knows his nicknames. Now, it's my turn to pray, right? But I don't got the spiritual vocabulary to just... But I'm not going to let her out pray me. So I'm like, okay, God, first of all, you are good people. You know, you are good, Lord. You are good. You are good to the last drop, Lord. Um, Because, Lord, I I just got to obey my thirst, Lord. You know, because choosing moms choose Jesus. So, Lord, because... You know, as the rocket's red glare, Lord, it gave proof to the night, Lord. I believe I can fly, Amen. amen.
0: Don't you love that? I believe I can fly, amen. I love it. Man, isn't that how prayer is sometimes? You know, it's like, I don't even know what I'm doing. All these other people look so much more spiritual than me. I don't know what to do. Well. I want to talk specifically this morning, I want to title this message after another first prayer that I learned as a kid. And it was, um, it was actually the prayer we are teaching our sons now. And it's simply this, before we eat, God is great, God is good. And then we say, and I thank, you know, thank Him for this food in Jesus' name. We, we abbreviate that prayer. We're trying to start slow. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, but what I want to title this message today is simply this, God is great, God is good. Because I believe in those two simple thoughts and through two simple statements, I believe can change completely change our perspective of what prayer is and who we're praying to. If you have your message notes, Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, if you've ever had trouble with prayer, you're not alone. The first followers of Jesus had the same exact problem. They had issues with prayer. They didn't understand exactly what it was supposed to be. The Bible says one day... Jesus told his disciples a story, watch what the story is for, to show that they should always pray and never give up. I don't know about you, but that's a hard thing in my world. It's difficult for me to look at the situations of my life and be someone who is always praying and never giving up. As a matter of fact, it's very easy to allow life to overwhelm my prayers and I'll just sit around worrying about things instead of praying to God about things. Instead of being persistent and keeping God first place and understanding that He's taking care of it, even if I don't understand it, it's so easy for me just to give up. But Jesus gives this to us as a model. He gives this to us as a goal that we can live a life that would always pray, Live this constant communication with God and literally never give up. It's a pretty tall glass of water. It's a pretty tall order, Jesus. Like, how in the world are we going to be able to get from where we are in prayer to this place where we're always praying and we're never giving up? How is this going to happen? Well, He tells. Here's, here's his goal, and here's the way it's going to happen. He's going to tell us a story. He's going to tell us a story, a parable, if you will, and he's going to use this parable to, sh- to, to be the inspiration for us to never stop praying. Be the inspiration for us to have this life of constant prayer. So, so it must be a good story. It must have a lot in it. And because Jesus said this can be the thing that changes our reality in relationship to him. So what happens? What is this story that he tells? Well, let's, let's just read it together and then we'll talk about it. It says, there was a certain judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I love that. It says, I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Undoubtedly, the disciples were wondering, what does this story have to do with teaching us about prayer? Well, it begins, this story is a story of a woman. We don't know her name We don't know where she comes from. We don't know her situation or how old she is, how wealthy she is. All we know is simply this, is that she's a widow. We know that she had visited a graveyard not too long ago. Her eyes filled with tears and she left there someone that she loved, her husband. And she was at a place where she was all alone. And to make things worse in her life, she had an enemy. The Bible says she had an adversary. We don't know what that was or who that was or what it could be. We don't know if it was a bill collector or something that she owed because of a medical bill from her husband that had passed away. We don't know if it was an angry landlord we don't know if it was a lawsuit that had come her way or, or a, a family member that she was just in a dispute with. Or, or We don't know what her adversary or who her adversary was, but we, we know this, that it was so bad that she felt her life was threatened and that she needed to go to the local authorities for help. But she had a problem. The local authorities were not much better than the adversary. The local authority was this local judge that the Bible called unjust. He was, Jesus described him simply as this. He was bad news. He was a deceptive, good-for-nothing scoundrel. He was someone who who, who didn't have any interest in anyone but himself. I wrote this in in my notes. If I could imagine him, he owned a gated mansion far from town. He had a swimming pool shaped like a dollar sign. He smoked Cubans and wore Versace. He drove a Porsche Carrera coupe. His license plate may have said, my way. He was on the payroll of every mafia boss in town, keeping the agreement, hey, if you keep me in office, I'll keep you out of jail. He was a crook. He and, every, and everybody in the city knew it. He didn't care about anybody unless they could help him out in some way. And he especially didn't care for this poor widow. But this poor widow had a problem. She had an adversary so she goes to this unjust judge imagine the scene in your mind he pulls up in his limousine and right as the right as someone opens his door there she stands her clothes tattered and worn his suit brand new sunglasses on slick hair He's not interested in anybody else around him. And she says, excuse me, excuse me, sir. Uh, Could you please uh, help me? I have an adversary. And without even paying attention that she was there, he throws her quarter to the ground and he walks into his office, slamming the door behind him. He works his day and then when he gets out of the office to go home, he's thinking his day is over except there's a widow there. Saying, excuse excuse me, sir, Um, I, I have an adversary. And he just simply ignores her again, just putting his hand out in her face. Please just signaling just to leave me alone. The next day, he comes into the office. There she is again. He goes to his, he goes to his secretary. His secretary says, uh, uh, um, excuse me, sir, uh, there's this lady. She's been leaving voicemail after voicemail saying she needs to talk to you. And, and, and he says, don't ever answer her call again. I don't want anything about her. She's just a poor beggar on the street. I don't want to know anything about her situation. And she, he goes home, and there she is again. And he comes back to work, and there she is again. And the Bible says that she just kept bugging him. To the point where he bu- she bugged him so bad, he said, finally, what do you want? So she begins to tell him her issue. Well, one day this adversary came to me, and I didn't know this, and he thought I, And he just stops her. I don't care whatever it is. Just look, She looks at the person, just give her whatever she wants. Just whatever she wants, just give it to her on one condition. Tell her to leave me alone. I don't want to ever hear from her again. She's getting on my nerves. And Jesus says, I got a lesson for you to learn from this unjust judge. If you're anything like me, and apparently like the disciples, I was a little confused. I was taught as a kid that this is a picture of prayer, of who God is in a way. That we just need to never give up. Just pester God. Just badger Him with whatever's bothering you. And with enough times and enough prayers and enough days and enough issues, finally God will say, well, just okay, you didn't give up. I'm going to give you what you want. But I believe the scriptures show us the complete opposite is true. I don't think Jesus was trying to tell us what God was like. I believe Jesus was trying to show us what God was not like. There we go. Yes, Lord. I guess that was like a tweet from the Lord right there, right? (laughs) God was trying to show us not what God was like, but Jesus was trying to show us what God was not like. This was not a parable of comparison. This was a parable of contrast. This is a parable of showing exactly what God was not. Like, and how many times have we in our mind's eye imagined our God as some distant person far off in the limousine taking care of the problems of the universe in some distant galaxy far from our need, just like this woman? So, and just God, if you could just give me some crumbs, I got an issue at work, and you, you feel like God's saying, Well, just quit bothering me, leave me alone. There's orphans in China, there's people that need all in the distance. I please just don't bother. Father me, whatever you want, I'll just give it to you. Just leave me alone. But I want to show you that God is not like that at all. As a matter of fact, this story shows us the true perspective of who God is. And I believe, as Jesus' purpose of his parable was, that if we can get a right perspective of who God is through this story, showing what God is not like, I believe it will completely change the way that we pray to him. It will completely change the way that we look at our Father, the way that we come to Him, the way that we pray. And here's the first perspective of God. Here's the first ideas that God knows. God knows. You see this, notice this unjust judge. He was far from her calamity. He was far from her issue. He was somewhere in the distance in his limousine somewhere, taking care of all the affairs. And he was so busy. But I want to tell you, God is not saying he did not know anything or care anything about her. See, our God's nothing like that. As a matter of fact, we serve a God who knows the very number of hairs that's on your head right now. He knows when a sparrow falls out of the air. He's someone that your days, your, the hairs on your head are so numbered that he knows your need even before you come to him. Whenever you come to your God, understand this. He already knows your need. He's not like this unjust judge that doesn't even care. He's your, He's your God that already knows. He already knows what you're going through. He already knows your issues at work. He already knows your, your issues in your body. He already knows the issues in your family. He already knows about it. He's God. Psalm chapter 145, verse 18 says, The Lord is near. If you want to circle that in your notes, just put a big old circle around it. The Lord is near. Maybe that's a word for somebody this morning. You feel like God is so far from you, but I want to encourage you to let you know your God is near. He's right where you are. He's near to all who call on Him. To all who call on Him in truth. Here's the second perspective of God. God doesn't just know See, there are a lot of people that know about things. But God takes it a step further. God actually cares. God knows and God cares. You see, when, when the unjust judge began to hear about what her issue was, he just he didn't even care what her issue was. He didn't, he didn't know and whenever he knew, he didn't even care about it. He didn't want to hear her voice. But God is the complete opposite. We serve a God, He wants to hear your voice. As a matter of fact, He loves to hear your voice. He he cares so much about you that He loves it whenever you speak to Him. He loves it whenever you pray. One of the passages of Scripture that has encouraged me so much through the years about this idea of God truly caring for us is is Revelation chapter 8. In the book of Revelation, we get many pictures of what heaven is like and what happens there, but I want to show you one you may have not thought of before. It said, and when he had opened the seventh seal, there was watch this silence in heaven for the space of half an hour. Huh. Maybe you haven't thought about you. Maybe you think about heaven being this noisy place. There's you know angels and bands. There's all these great things. All these great things happening. God says, "There's a time in heaven where it's just shoo. like God's like cut the music, be quiet, Gabriel, put your trumpet down, like." shh. Why? It says, And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayer of all the saints on the golden altar that was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. There was this great big golden censer in heaven. There's this great big golden censer. And the Bible says that that God said silence and it's just completely quiet in heaven while this censer is being poured out on the altar. And that censer is the prayers of the saints. It's as if God says in all of the beauty of heaven, God says, I'm going to silence it all just to hear the prayers of you. Just to hear the prayers of a saint of God in trouble. Just to hear a prayer of a saint of God that's got an issue in their life, issue in their body. God says, everybody be quiet. I'm going to listen. And for the space of 30 minutes, half an hour, who will listen to you for half an hour? Who wants to listen to you for half an hour? Who? How many people just on the phone for half an hour? No, nobody wants to listen to you for half an hour. Nobody wants to listen to me for half an hour. You say, well, you've been going about half an hour now. I'll stop. <laughs> but God says... And for thirty minutes, I think it's such a beautiful picture of what how much your prayers matters to God, just like when my 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 little my my little son he's eighteen months um, his name's Carter and he' he's, he's got this like one syllable, everything he does is one syllable you know every every word he says you know is one syllable- yep, yep no, no, he kind of grunts he's got that, but he he knows how to say dad uh, or dada. and uh I tell you what, there's something about it whenever that little boy says my name. I can just imagine it's a little bit of picture of who our God is and what happens whenever we say his name. God knows, God cares. Here's the third thing. God can. See, there are a lot of people that care about our needs, but they can't really do anything about it. Maybe you come to me after service and we talk about an issue that's going on in your life, and honestly, I may care about it, but it may be something beyond what I could ever help you with. But we serve a God that there's nothing beyond what He can handle. There's nothing beyond what He can take care of. There's, he doesn't just care about us. He actually can do something about it. See, see, this judge represented part. If there's any similarity, it's this, that the judge had power. The judge had the ability to set laws and change things and make a difference. And I want to say, if we serve our, our God has the ability to change things and make a difference in our lives, He's, he's the judge of all the earth. He's the judge of all the ages then he can do anything. Luke chapter 1 verse 37 simply speaks of Christmas and the incarnation. It says for with God nothing will be impossible. I didn't put this in your notes, but Genesis 18:14 says is anything too hard for God? I love that. A little girl was talking to her teacher about whales and she said she had heard in Sunday school that a whale swallowed up Jonah. Our teacher said that this was physically impossible for the whale to swallow a human because even though um, you know, there was a very large mammal, even though it was a large mammal, the throat of the whale is very small and it could just physically never happen. The little girl remained steadfast in her position and reiterated indeed, the whale did swallow Jonah. Irritated, the teacher again stated that the whale could never swallow a human being. It is physically impossible. The little girl said, well, I'm not sure how it happened, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. The teacher replied smugly, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? The little girl said, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) You'll get it later. There we go. Anyways, God can. God can. That was a quick little kid. That's kind of mean, though. It's all right. Um, God knows. God cares. God can. And here's the last thing about the perspective of God. God will. God will. This is what Jesus was trying to say. Reading on in the parable, he said, even he rendered a just decision in the end. So watch this. Don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? He says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. In other words, God just, it's not that he just can, but he will. He was trying to show them that this unjust judge, he he had the complete it's complete opposite to who our God is. He's, he's not wanting to help. He's not caring. He's not. But, but our God is, and He wants to grant you requests. And when you feel like He's not answering, when you feel like the heavens are silent, God's not. He's there, and He's his, sometimes His silence is the greatest answer that we could ever receive. That's what I've learned in my life. So what does this prayer mean for us? What does this do? In our lives. What how should this change? I want to give you three quick ideas and then we'll be done. Here's the first one that we need to pray behaps. We need to pray behaps. I'll tell you what that means in a moment. Here's what a beehap is. I love this. I love this. I heard this years ago and it's stuck in my in my in my heart. A beehap is this: a big, hairy, audacious prayer. <laughs> a behap. Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, he said we need to have BHAGs, which are big, hairy, audacious goals. Great business book, talking about having big goals. Well, well, I just like saying we need BHAPS, which are we need to have some prayers that are so big that it calls for the greatness and goodness of God. Like when we understand that our God can, then there should be something inside of us that we believe Him for the impossible. (laughs) Big, hairy, audacious prayer is the kind of prayer that takes your breath away. It's a vision so God-sized, so humanly impossible, and yet so utterly appealing that it totally consumes you and drives you, you to your knees in prayer. Is there anything you're praying about that's bigger than you? Is there anything you're dreaming about that's bigger than you and your own ability? I'll say this, that in, if your dreams are not, are, not, are not intimidating to you, I believe they're insulting to your God. Because we're not just dealing with with somebody that that has a little bit of power and a little bit of influence. We're not dealing with your rich uncle. We're not dealing with somebody who's got a little bit going for them. We're dealing with God. We're dealing with the creator of the universe. We're dealing with the one that stepped out onto nothing and created everything. So we need to have some big, hairy, audacious prayers that we say, God, I don't even know how this is going to happen, but I'll just pray for your glory that this is what I'm not Praying, talking about praying to win the lottery. Not talking about praying for things for us. But God, what would it look like if we begin to pray some behaps over our city and over the people that are far from you in our city? Joshua learned this and did this in Joshua chapter 10. The Bible says, On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon. And you moon over the valley of Agilon. Joshua thought so much of his God that he looked up at the heavens and told the very sun to stand still. That's a behap. That's a big prayer. But what does it show? It shows how much confidence Joshua had in his big God that could do the impossible. What I love even more about this prayer is that Joshua prayed wrong. See, the sun, we've learned through astronomy that it's in in relation to the sun and the moon, we're actually the moving one. The earth is the one moving, not necessarily the sun in regard to... If the sun were to stop, we wouldn't notice it. Like, what he should have really prayed for is earth stand still. But he didn't have the perfect concept of what was going to happen. And how many times... What, what, if he, what if he allowed his prayer that may have been incomplete, what if he allowed that to stop him from still praying the big prayer? How many times do we say, well, I don't understand it all. I don't know if it's God's will. I don't know all the, I don't know. And we we, we think ourselves out of just praying it. I want to just say, Joshua just threw it out there. And you know what God did? God just took the faith and God made whatever had to happen astrologically, God made it happen so that the miracle could take place. See, that's what God does. You just ask him for the impossible and let, just put it in his hands and trust him. Here, here Here's here's what I love this quote by Sir Francis Drake. He says, Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, and when we have arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. What would happen if we prayed big big prayers? Big prayers. And just watch what God would do. Here's the second thing we need to do. Pray trusting. Pray Trusting. What I love about the parable Jesus tells is simply this, that it shows so clear the, the contrast to the character of our God. Many times we treat God like a cosmic slot machine and we just try to, it's all what we want. But there's so much joy in praying with trust of saying, God, this is what I'm praying for, but I'm trusting that if something else is better, I trust that you're going to do the right thing. I trust that you're going to know what the right thing is in my life. And I don't know what the right answer is for me. But you do. And I'm going to trust you. What I've learned with God is that why is greater than what or how. Why is always greater than what or how. There will be times when you don't know what God is doing in your life. There will be a lot of times you don't know why God is doing what he is doing in your life. But how how, why, is always greater. Why God does what He does and allows what He allows, it's because it's for our good. No matter what's happening, no matter what's taking place, no matter, we, we serve a God who can take it all and He can work it for our good, Romans 8, 28 says. That he, can, he can take it and work it. doesn't mean everything is good. doesn't mean God causes the bad things in our lives. But it simply means this, that, that at times we walk through things that we don't understand. Maybe it's because of what someone else did or maybe it's because of our own choices. But here's what we know, that if we'll trust God, we'll stay faithful to Him. Then we could pray with trust knowing that He's taking care of it. And He's going to take care of us all the way. We're never going to be alone. We're never going to be afraid. That's why 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God one paraphrase says your anxieties to god i don't know if you are someone that has anxiety about the future or anxiety about your work or anxiety about what you're going through god says i want you to give that to me like whatever your anxiety is give it to me i've learned that it takes the same amount of energy to pray about something as it does to worry about something and it honestly it feels kind of the same there's many times that I've I, I sit around for days and I've worried about a situation, but then it like dawns on me, I have not prayed about this. All I've done is sit around and mentally went through all the scenarios in my mind, how this could go wrong or how that could go wrong or what could happen in my life. And I realize that I'm just playing over a negative scenario in my mind. But everything changes whenever I say, okay, God, and it's like a weight. I just take it and I lay it at Jesus' feet and say, God, I've been trying to carry the weight of the world on my shoulders, but they're not big enough. And God, I'm going to put it at your feet. And when you begin to pray about it, I promise you, your load will be much lighter when you put your cares in the hands of Jesus. And here's the third reality. To pray first. Pray first. Viktor Frankl said, Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. I love that. In between everything that happens to you, in between every problem, in between every situation, there is a space, however small it may be, and you have the opportunity what to fill the space with. Something negative happens to you in your life. You have a space to choose what goes there. The enemy wants you to fill that space with depression, with anger, with anxiety, with bitterness, with wrong decisions. But what defines our freedom is when we choose to put prayer in that space. <laughs> if something happens, God, I don't understand, but I'm coming to you. God, I don't know why this is happening the way it's happened to me, but I, I bring it to you. And he says, I'm great. Yes, I'm great. Most of us would agree that God is great, but he's also good. And he cares about us. And whenever we choose to fill those spaces with prayer, everything changes I recently heard of a church that was having a business meeting and everybody was not agreeing on a certain issue and people got upset with one another one man stood up and said I think we ought to pray about this another man stood up and said has it already come to that <laughs> I love that You see too many times prayer is our last resort Instead of our first response, what would change in 2016 if we allowed prayer to be our first response to whatever happens? Bad news at work, first response. Not worry, not talk to my coworkers, not try to figure it out, not get online, not try to Google what's going on. Prayer. That pain happens in your body. How many times have you ever got a pain? You Google and it's like, oh, I'm dying right now. <laughs> The kid's got a cold. Oh, his ear's about to fall off right now, right? Let's Google. I Googled it, and 10 people died last year of this rare disease, and I saw it. It's in there. No, what if we took that space, instead of filling it with Google or filling it with worry, filling it with our friends or other voices, fill it with prayer. Prayer goes first. 2 first Timothy 2, 1, Paul says, I ex- exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks, be made for all men. Like the very first thing is prayer. So no matter how far gone you feel your situation is, you can still pray. Just look at Job. Satan took away his livelihood, his servants, his children, his health, but he couldn't take away his prayer. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. No matter how far gone it was, he could still pray. Help is available if you could pray. It's never too late to pray. I think about the ruler that came to Jesus about his dead daughter. But it wasn't too late. She may have been dead, but they were talking to the resurrection and the life. Think about the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years of pain, 12 years of suffering, 12 years of doctors, 12 years of sorrow. But it wasn't too late for the one, the great physician... That could take our pain and take our shame, and just with one touch of his garment, or the hem of his garment, she was made whole. It's never too late to pray. You've never made too many mistakes to pray. I think about the demon possessed boy that was, was in the scripture in, 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 the, in the town of Gadara, that the Bible says he was filled with legions of devils. But whenever Jesus came on the scene, the Bible says that he went ran to him. He got on his knees and he began to worship Jesus. All of the devils that possessed that boy could not stop him from praying to Jesus. All of the problems in his life wasn't too far gone because he could still pray. And if you can still pray, then everything can change. Because it's never too late to pray. It's too late to pray. Tell that to the thief on the cross a lifetime of regret he was getting what he deserved that day but grace put him next to the Savior and whenever the other on the other side was mocking him this thief said hey remember me whenever you come into your kingdom in that one prayer at the very last moment of his life that one prayer Jesus said today you'll be with me in paradise.'" What a God we serve. What would it look like if we changed our perspective and began to look at our God instead of being some distant, unjust judge, not interested in us, but we saw him as being this father with down on the floor just saying, hey, just come into my arms. I love you. I already know what you're facing. Just talk to me about it because I want to be there. I want to help you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Before we go any further in the service, I want to give... Maybe somebody who feels a little bit like that thief on the cross today an opportunity to pray. we love making it so easy to come to Jesus we We just believe the first step is just coming to him in a in a repentance and saying, "God, would you help me?" and I want to give anyone in this place that needs to be saved. You need Jesus, you need a fresh start you 're tired of your old life and you're ready to come to this Father. that maybe you're changing your perspective this morning through His grace. If that's you, no one's going to embarrass you. or I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. A prayer of repentance to God and faith. Why don't we pray it together in this place? will not we pray, Lord Jesus, I need you. I've went my own way. I've done my own thing. And it hasn't worked out like I thought it would. Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? I don't want to be the captain of my own life anymore. I want you to direct my steps. I pray to you right now, asking for you to take over. I want to be your disciple. I want to follow after you with all my heart. I give my life to you today, Jesus. Jesus.